If you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor. If you like your private health insurance plan, you can keep your plan, period. If you are among the hundreds of millions of Americans who already have health insurance through your job, or Medicare, or Medicaid, or the VA, nothing in this plan will require you or your employer to change the coverage of the doctor you have. But we have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. Find out what is in it. This is America's Healthcare Challenge on News Talk 1290, News Talk 1290KOIL.com, and the News Talk 1290 mobile app. America's Healthcare Challenge is produced and sponsored by E.D. Bellis. Now, here's your host, Sean McGuire. Hey, welcome, my friends, to America's Healthcare Challenge. Hope you had a fantastic week. Sure did go fast. And as always, there is plenty to talk about and report in the healthcare industry with changes. And you know what? The White House came out with a couple of two new announcements, one of which might uh, transform how uh, uh, physicians are are paid. We are talking about uh, what happened in the uh, Federal Register this week, looking at uh, alternative payment methods. We're going to cover some of this in our main story here at the bottom of the hour, but... As we visited about many, many times here on the program, in t- a year ago in February, the Secretary of Health and Human Services outlined uh, with industry experts many different uh, payment methods that they were tying. The old fee-for-service model is going away. They're tying more payments towards value, and the first proposed rule has come out, and it's going to... Uh, take a little bit of a week or so to get through the 1,000 pages of regulations, which I'm currently moving through. And that's one of the things that we've talked about before. It's really hard to keep up on all of these things when you look at a piece of legislation like the Affordable Care Act, uh, one of the main focuses of this show, when you look at a piece of legislation like that, having about 1,000 pages, but then all of the regulations that come attached to it as a result of the changes in the industry like this one is another 1,000 pages And it actually makes one wonder, how can you keep up with all of those things? And that's why we decided three years ago to have this program, America's Healthcare Challenge. Been doing this every week, every Saturday here, reporting all of the changes, taking your calls at any time if you'd like to chime in. Something catches your attention, 402-342-1290-402-342-1290 is the number. Had a great time yesterday here in the same studio helping out a great cause, raising money for the Fred and Pamela Buffett Cancer Center uh, over down the street at UNMC and uh, another successful event visiting with uh, people that are impacted by places like that. And I was just uh, thrilled to be be a part of it. And uh, I don't know, we'll have to ask Matt here if we break, broke the record here on uh did you know if they broke the record from last year because we were you were there i'm i'm actually i'm not 100 percent sure we we're super close i know we I were left. close because when 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 you left i think we were within like two grand or something like that so yeah i i, I think it was either it's it's i mean it had to have been yeah so thanks again to uh the sponsors who who uh helped make that happen one of the stories we're going to be talking about this week uh we discovered it on pbs news hour they've talked about this about a month ago we just happened to find it recently but i want to play it for you because it 100 percent describes things that we've been talking about here on this program for the last uh, year minimum uh, as it results as it relates to what is happening in rural america smaller towns smaller hospitals what is happening to them and they did a great segment on the PBS NewsHour exploring what's happening in uh, rural communities in Georgia, for example. By the way, the Affordable Care Act was passed in 2010, and since 2010, 50 hospitals have already closed uh, their doors uh, across the country. Is that a good thing? Is it a bad thing? This this article or this story will explore, so you're not going to want to miss what's happening there. also wanted to take some time. I wasn't here last week. was out of town. But I understand you were joined uh, uh, by a congressional candidate, and I'm sure Alan did a fantastic job uh, explaining some of the things that happened with the news that happened last week, but it's still starting to, or it's still rippling into this week, and that would be the news of United Healthcare uh, deciding to be pulling the, pulling the plug on certain, um, on most of their states actually for uh, healthcare.gov, or they're not going to be participating in exchanges. And what does that mean? It means now that numerous, numerous counties 
are going to be without access to uh, more than one insurance company. And we already know, we've discussed this several times on this program, um, when there's less choice, what does that usually mean? It usually means higher costs. And so you'll have to check out healthreformexplained.com, which is the show blog uh, this week, for our article on how the exit of United Healthcare is impacting the fully insured marketplace, as in, are you going to be uh, able to have much choice? Is it worth it to even stay in the fully insured marketplace? I know for an individuals, they don't have many choices. And I saw an interesting quote this week from the CEO of Aetna, which is one of the largest insurance companies. And he was arguing that, you know, we'll stick with it, but they need to give us some more flexibility in determining certain plan designs because the main problem folks is that they can't attract enough young healthy individuals into these exchanges and the reason why is pretty simple they're being priced out of it and the reason they're being priced out of it is because there's things like a 150 billion dollar industry-wide surtax uh, on insurance companies as a way to pay for the ACA and they've uh, in turn turned it around on consumers and so that's one reason. And, oh, by the way, it extends down to other things like dental and other things. And so we explore whether or not this massive exodus from large insurance companies like United are going to have an impact on fully insured plans and whether or not businesses, small and large, should even be bothered uh, being in the fully insured marketplace. I know that probably gets some pushback fr from a lot of people, but it just seems to be too volatile, and it really makes one wonder why they should be paying uh, extra taxes, like two and a half percent, for example, on the on all of their premiums. That that can actually be an awful lot of money uh, when when we're talking about that. And this former Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services administrator, the agency of government that oversees all of this, Marilyn Tavener. You might have remembered our "I'm Sorry" segment from before, where she went on an apology a thon uh, after the failed rollout of healthcare.gov. Uh, but she's now actually the head of the America's Health Insurance Plan, which, by the way, is the largest uh, trade association for the big insurance companies. They are the trade association that was at the White House, along with the American Hospital Association and Pharma, essentially, uh, were the ones that were at there and um, said that they would call off their dogs. My words, not theirs, but that's the reality. They, were, they vowed that they would not... They would support the law. They would not lobby against it um, because they were going to be getting over 30 million newly insured people. Well, the reality is we're over halfway through the implementation period, and the numbers aren't. we're not on track to being where they thought they were going to be. There's not enough people have gone in, and so they're essentially getting up and walking away from the table. And it should kind of bother you for two reasons. Number one, um, it, it affects you as a consumer. In 2017, according to Marilyn Tavener, oh, by the way, she went from CMS, the agency of government, to doing it, to be the head lobbyist for all the insurance companies, just so you know that. She said that uh, premiums are going to be going up in 2017. So uh, just wanted you, you to know that, and I, I encourage you to check out my article where I explain why the premiums are going up. And one of the main reasons why is because there's a – protections in the law they knew that it was going to be rough the first three years but what bothers me is they're actually pulling out and some of them are actually pulling out and so it will be um really sad to see uh the the lack of choice for many people because 532 counties for example will just have one or two options on the exchange and iowa our state to the east um, was the most recent victim, uh, United Healthcare deciding to be pulling out of, out of Iowa. So, uh, with the uh, co-opportunity health thing going, uh, seems to be that there's going to be less charge choice here in the heartland. And so we're going to talk about uh, the impact of less choice other places in the country. When we, when we come back, I wanted to take a, a deep look at um, what is happening in rural America, especially with hospitals. We're going to be going to Georgia. Uh, looking, uh, thanks to this PBS NewsHour piece, I'm going to play for you. And then I'm going to give you my commentary on it when we come back. This is America's Healthcare Challenge. Check out uh, our Facebook page.com slash America's Healthcare Challenge. And if you want to see the stories I'm reading every week, my Twitter handle is at Sean M. McGuire. And that is my name. And I will be right back.
Are you a business owner seeing your bottom line squeezed by rising health care costs? I'm Sean McGuire, and I founded E.D. Bellis Healthcare Consulting to provide health reform consulting so that your business does not get caught off with all the uncertainty in Washington. I was there on Capitol Hill when the Affordable Care Act, otherwise known as Obamacare, was created, and I have read the entire bill. Let me guide you through the maze of the American bureaucracy as you adapt to changing government rules and regulations that will impact your organization regardless of size. I offer custom services, including cost reduction strategies, training seminars for you and your employees, and strategic planning to help you prepare for the future. Regardless of what the Supreme Court decides, this issue is here to stay. Contact me today for a free consultation at www.healthreformexplained.com. That's www.healthreformexplained.com. At E.D. Ballas, we know healthcare. Research shows moving is one of the most stressful events in a person's life. But thanks to two men in a truck, it doesn't have to be. They have everything you need to move. A courteous professional staff who will customize your move, which includes a no-obligation estimate, a schedule to fit your convenience, and all the necessary packing supplies. And two men in a truck will help you watch your budget, too. Don't stress. Let two men in a truck handle your home or business move. Go to twomenandatruck.com. Two men in a truck selected Best of Omaha for nine years straight with an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau. Now that you've heard of Shama McGuire and HealthReformExplained.com, maybe it's time for his team to assess your company's situation. We have innovative strategies to help navigate this new maze created by the Affordable Care Act. For more, go to HealthReformExplained.com. You are listening to America's Healthcare Challenge with Sean McGuire. Join the conversation at 402-342-1290 or at 800-577-1290. Once again, direct from the American heartland, here's your host, Sean McGuire. Welcome back to America's Healthcare Challenge. One of the things that they use to... uh, pay for the Affordable Care Act was a reduction in uh, future Medicare reimbursement. And uh, that has certainly had an impact on um, health care providers. And we found this story, which we want to play for you, uh, from the PBS NewsHour. And we've been talking about this on the program several, several times. And I can think of at least five times we've talked about how certain issues uh, that are changing in the industry, certain issues in changing reimbursement, a lack of healthcare workforce in that there's not enough healthcare providers at the moment is having a really Im- major impact on on rural America. And that's wait, something- wait, wait, Sean, I got I got to interrupt you for a second. They're they're taking they took away Medicare reimbursement. You didn't know that. Where was the where was the granny falling off the cliff commercials when uh, Obamacare was passed? Good they, point. What the heck? You didn't man? know that. I didn't know that. Yes, it's um. One of the biggest revenue raisers is called a reduced in uh, market basket updates. Blah. What does that even mean? Uh, what it means is that Medicare gets uh, future reimbursements, and they reduce those future reimbursements beginning a few years ago now. And so it's starting to have an impact. And like I said, since 2010, 50 hospitals have closed. And so let's listen to this story, and then we'll talk a little bit about it and take your calls, if you wish, at 402-342-1290. It's, it's just sad, and the hospital, oh my goodness. Sybil Ammons is a fixture in the town of Lumpkin, Georgia, population 1,500. For years, she was the director of nursing at the county's only hospital in nearby Richland. Now, she's the county coroner. Our people built this hospital, our ancestors. The hospital, when I ride by there, it just breaks my heart. It's my mama works that worked there before I did. My sister was born over there. It's, it's just so sad. The hospital closed in 2013. Since then, Ammons can count off the local residents she thinks have been harmed or died because they couldn't reach medical care quickly enough. We've had a stroke, several heart attacks, several cardiac problems. We've had traumas out on the four lane. I would say at least 10 to 15 people have had bad outcomes from the hospital closing. 200 miles away in Folkston, Georgia, near the Okefenokee Swamp, Pam Renshaw had to bypass her town's closed hospital when she needed it most. After a day of yard work, Renshaw overturned her four-wheeler, spilling into a fire pit used to burn trash. Her then-boyfriend, Billy Chavis, pulled her from the fire and patted down the flames on her body with his bare hands. Whenever I got in the truck, my whole everything right here just fell in my lap. 
And I just pulled it back up, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's bad, isn't it? I said, yeah, we got to get you to a doctor. And I seriously thought we was going to lose her. And the whole time I'm driving to town with the palms of my hands, where it burnt my hands, I said, where do I go? Where do I go? The hospital had closed just months before Renshaw's accident, leaving Chavis scrambling. He first tried the EMT office. When he didn't find anyone, he ran to the police station and a dispatcher summoned an ambulance. Renshaw was airlifted to a hospital in Gainesville, Florida, 100 miles away. It was an hour and a half before doctors tended to her. It burnt like 45% of my body, um, the whole arm, all the way across my stomach, and down the, my left leg to my knee. Renshaw was in a medically induced coma for three months and spent nearly eight months in the hospital. Her body remains terribly scarred. Dangerous industrial jobs drive the economy in Folkestone, and Renshaw's accident spooked this small town of 5,000. Local leaders are still trying to reopen the hospital. More than 50 rural hospitals across the country have closed since 2010, and hundreds more are in fragile financial condition. It's a trend hastened by declining revenues and a restructuring of the healthcare industry that rewards scale and connectivity, difficult goals for hospitals that are small and remote. As rural hospitals have closed here in Georgia, hundreds of people have lost their jobs, and many small towns have been left reeling. In Glenwood, Georgia, the hospital has been abandoned for more than a year. Inside, antiquated security cameras flicker between images of empty hallways and still-made beds. In the hospital laboratory, it's as if the workers simply got up one day and left. Unplugged refrigerators still hold vials of blood. There are signs of decay outside, too. After the hospital closed, the bank and the town's only restaurant quickly followed suit. Next may be the nursing home. We have a 50-bed facility and we have 35 residents. That's a threat to us, you know, that's very detrimental. Um, if we go any lower, we might have to close, you know, we can't, because we can't meet our financial standards, we can't meet the financial obligations. The hospital was the town's largest employer, and the loss of more than 100 jobs was yet another blow to a rural community accustomed to hardship. This, uh, through the years, has been a hair salon, you know, styling type shop, tanning beds and that kind of stuff, and of course it's... GM Joyner has been Glenwood's mayor for three decades. His father was the mayor before him. Joyner says without the traffic from hospital workers and visitors, local businesses are barely hanging on. Hello, DK. How you doing? The owner of the local grocery store, DK Patel, says sales have plummeted. Yeah, after the hospital closed, we had dropped about 30 percent sales. It's it, it been hurting a lot. All I can say is it's been hurting a lot. Obviously, it was our lifeblood mainstay. It's, it's uh, not overemphasizing or trying to be a doomsday prophet, but it's devastating. It's devastating. Across the country, rural hospitals have struggled to adapt to a steady decline in rural populations and to a new reality. A series of budget control measures passed by Congress cut Medicare payments. Further, 19 states have not expanded Medicaid under the Affordable Care Act, also known as Obamacare. That's left many rural hospitals with unpaid bills, just as federal subsidies for the uninsured are scheduled to taper off. For many patients in these small towns, the price has been steep. Sue and Joe Connell of Glenwood, age 75 and 77, now must drive two hours round trip to their doctor's appointments. There are no physicians practicing anywhere in their county. Joe Connell has a blood disorder and other medical problems that keep him and his wife on the road almost daily. I'm seeing about four different doctors in Dublin, and uh, some trips, like this week, we're making three trips to Dublin. Ninety percent of the miles put on our cars is, is going to the doctor in Dublin. It costs us. It costs a bunch of money. The pace of the closures has only escalated in recent years. And the National Rural Health Association says more than 280 hospitals with 700,000 patient visits are at risk of shutting down. How are things in Atlanta? Crazy, Good. busy, too much Come traffic. Chuck Adams travels the state meeting local health care leaders. He's the executive vice president of the Georgia Hospital Association. Towns like Glenwood has always had a hospital. You know, when that hospital closed, then these residents immediately lost access without an opportunity to figure out what that next access model was. You know, when you have time to figure it out, 
then I think there's some models out there that could work. While the closures have disrupted emergency care, reduced options for pregnant women, and drained doctors from some rural communities, researchers have found on average that closing down a rural hospital doesn't increase the chances of death. Indeed, a separate investigation by the Wall Street Journal found surgeries at many rural hospitals carried a greater risk of complications. And for some emergencies, patients can receive better quality care at larger hospitals that treat more cases. Morning, Jessica. How are you? Good morning. How busy are you guys today so far? Alan Kent is CEO of Meadows Regional Medical Center, a bustling modern hospital in Vidalia, Georgia, that has taken in patients from neighboring towns like Glenwood. He says while rural residents need access to primary and urgent care, not every town can sustain a hospital with costly medical equipment and a roster of specialists. There has to be sort of a critical mass to be able to make any business viable and especially a community hospital. Uh, we have to be more efficient in hospitals if we are going to be sustainable. And I think that's one of the things that you're seeing that's driving the consolidation in the industry. Back in Glenwood, Joe and Sue Connell sit on their front porch watching the traffic leave town. They worry that someday soon they too may need to leave for good. Morning, I can't get where I can't drive, and and uh, I don't know what we're going to do when she gets where she can't drive. For the PBS NewsHour and Kaiser Health News, I'm Sarah Varney in Glenwood, Georgia. So I just wanted you to understand and uh, hear that there's other people actually talking about something. Oh, actually, the PBS NewsHour, uh, good for them, right, Matt? I mean, what did man, you think? I, You're from Georgia. You're wearing man, a Georgia Bulldogs baseball uh, cap right now. <laughs> actually, I am wearing a Georgia baseball cap right now. Man, that every, With every passing minute of that story, and I do, I have to, I have to agree with you, props to PBS, man. I, for my entire adult life, have figured PBS is just an arm of the Democratic liberal wing of party. Um, so, you know, praise to them for actually putting out a story like that. Um, you know, the truth really hurts sometimes. You know, truth stinks. And, uh, you know, all I could think of that whole time was, you know, we got to pass the bill to find out what's in it. Yeah, that sort of thing. And uh, the fact that we, you know, it really matters. We've got elections coming up here, folks. We've got we got primaries in this state coming up in days. Um, and then we're going to and then we're going to have a whole new election cycle coming up with in November. And it matters who you vote for. It matters. There's 700,000 people, according to this article, 700,000 people that are at risk. Now, you know what else I was thinking of is the golden hour. You know, at the, at the end there, they're talking about how, well, you know, rural hospitals aren't that great. You know, you, your, your chances of survival in a surgery aren't that great. Let me tell you something. That golden hour, I, I almost was a paramedic. I did a lot of schooling to be a paramedic, and mm -hmm. I decided at the last minute that, that I didn't want to do that. But the they talk about the golden hour where you need to get treated in an hour if you're in a serious traumatic event or else your your chances of dying go skyrocketing if you don't have a rural hospital and you live an hour and a half two hours away from an urban area you're done you're finished well that lady even said was it a town of 1500 people and you knew yeah i knew where town. most of those towns were what part of george are those in some of the well some of those were in the really far south um, some of them were in like the central eastern uh, part of the state, so it would have been like it would have been like east of Atlanta, more towards like the South Carolina border. And then the the last one they were talking about is down near is down near the southern border. Um, so yeah, I mean, and we're talking some they, really that county had zero doctors. Oh man, we're talking rural areas here. I mean, you, you know, there's parts of Georgia where you, if you drive if you drive on the on the on the highways on the uh, the county roads or whatever, you could go a half hour, forty five minutes without seeing another car. Seriously? Oh yeah, we're talking really. There's parts of Georgia that are very rural, very, very rural. I mean, more so than even Nebraska. You wouldn't think that because the history of, I mean, it's been around for so long. You know what right, I mean? Right, right. But, I mean, the urbanization of, of America, sure, and, I mean, sure. there's a lot of these ten, and a lot of these towns. I mean, you know, people want to say, oh, well, it's just it's Georgia people. You know, they're just a bunch of white privilege anyway. Well, what about that Indian guy that's trying to run that grocery store? Now he's, you know, now he's looking like he's going to have to move and relocate. You know, he's not doing very well either. I mean, it's. Well, 1,500 people, and she said f uh, about 10 to 15 people have actually died because of, wasn't that? Yeah. What I heard, did I hear that right? Well, so yeah, one percent of their population. Well, listen, Sean, I'm going to say something really provocative. I'm sorry for you know. Well, I'm not sorry, but this is what happens when you uh, when you hire a, uh, a <laughs> an affirmative action based community organizer guy to be your president. I mean, that's this is what happens. This is, I mean, when you've got somebody who has no idea what they're doing when it comes to healthcare, and they're just going to socialize medicine across the board. 
you're going to end up with situations like this. And it's really sad, man. These are people's lives. These are people. These people are dying, and you know more people cannot are are not going to get the assistance and healthcare that they need uh, because we want to ins- we want to make sure that uh, you know the poorest of the poor classes are uh, are also included. You know it. Yeah, yeah. It's um, well, you off your uh, soapbox there. Uh, it really this stuff makes me mad though, Sean. I mean, this stuff really makes me mad because when you've got guys like you know this older couple that uh, that PBS article was showing. You know, and they've they've worked their whole lives, you know, in this country. They have done they followed the rules. They've worked their they've worked their tails off their whole life. They saved up all their money and now their money is being drained because they got to drive 400 miles a day uh, for this guy to get uh, to get medical care because we've got some Yahoo in the in the White House that decided that he wanted to be the first one to socialize health care. It, it's just it's it really makes me mad. It really, really makes me mad. It makes me say that that's why we need a state based a solution like every state should be able to come up with their own solution because you just can't put a one size fits all uh, thing in anything. You just can't fit a, a, a what is it a square and a, a round peg. You just and that's kind of what I seem to believe many parts of this law. While they may have been a great idea, like for example, there's a ton of young healthy people that don't want to go into the system. And the reason why is a lot of them are, are younger males, and they have essential health benefits. And I'm all, I think essential health benefits are great. Yeah, you should cover all of these things. But what if you don't want an essential health benefit? You're a man. Do you want maternity services? No, those are expensive. So why should you have to pay for taking, letting plans be designed that can, you know, kind of mix and match, still give somebody access to these essential health benefits? But what if they don't want them? They need to start doing things like that to get young people in here because, unfortunately, all the experts are saying that premiums are going to go up, and and I'm just really concerned. And I noticed another story recently, which we're going to talk about a little bit more in depth when we come back, which is uh, another lawsuit. So we might have Supreme Court uh, Part 3 coming up here uh, very soon. House of Representatives suing uh, the Department of Health and Human Services over uh, how cost-sharing assistance subsidies are paid. Uh, that is to say, somebody that has a deductible, if they make less than 250% of the poverty level, gets some assistance uh, covering those deductibles. And we'll talk a little bit more about that here when we come back because 60% of people that got something through healthcare.gov receive some sort of cost-sharing assistance. And so... This legal case is something to watch very closely. They're going to be talking about it here the next week or so. We're going to be getting the decision. It's coming from the, the D.C. Circuit Court, which you may or may not know is that one circuit court that usually means it's going to the to the big house. It's going to the Supreme Court after. Oh, by the way, they were still without a uh, Supreme Court justice. That That's something we could probably talk a little bit about as well. So America's Healthcare Challenge will be right back. They say every business should have an elevator pitch. Here's ours. We are E.D. Bellis, a consulting company specializing in healthcare reform, helping businesses navigate the new law. For more, go to healthreformexplained.com. Are you feeling overwhelmed, depressed, or angry? Is your child or teenager acting out? Healing Tree Counseling wants to help. Located at 10th and Dodge, Healing Tree offers individual, family, and couples therapy. Bill and Laura are exceptional at working with children and adolescents. Ask around. They have a great reputation. Healing Tree accepts most insurance companies. They offer flexible payment plans and are confidential. Their personalized service and unique office sets them apart from larger agencies. Visit HealingTreeOmaha.com for more information. Are you a business owner seeing your bottom line squeezed by rising health care costs? I'm Sean McGuire, and I founded E.D. Bellis Healthcare Consulting to provide health reform consulting so that your business does not get caught off with all the uncertainty in Washington. I was there on Capitol Hill when the Affordable Care Act, otherwise known as Obamacare, was created, and I have read the entire bill. Let me guide you through the maze of the American bureaucracy as you adapt to changing government rules and regulations that will impact your organization regardless of size. 
I offer custom services, including cost reduction strategies, training seminars for you and your employees, and strategic planning to help you prepare for the future. Regardless of what the Supreme Court decides, this issue is here to stay. Contact me today for a free consultation at www.healthreformexplained.com. That's www.healthreformexplained.com. At E.D. Ballas, we know healthcare. Listening to America's Healthcare Challenge on News Talk 1290, News Talk 1290KOIL.com, and the News Talk 1290 mobile app. Once again, here's Sean McGuire. You know, we're trying to just report some news, um, uh, what's happening in the healthcare industry, because it just seems like there's no news anywhere. As I'm going through my news feed right now, I, I see an NFL player in a gas mask, for example. That's, <laughs> that's the news that. Uh, that they're trying to talk about, but we're trying to talk about news that affects your pocketbook. And if you're one of 60% of the people that are going through healthcare.gov and received cost sharing assistance, I wanted you to be aware of a court case that might be coming down the pike that uh, might have an impact. I'm telling you, folks, 2017 is going to be a major year. And guess who's not around in 2017, coincidentally? Almost every single person that actually was involved in writing and execution of this law, including the person who's it's named after. News this week, actually, uh, interesting uh, to report that Abbott Labs, you might know Abbott Labs, they are a um, massive, massive organization, pharmaceutical organization. Um, they have agreed to acquire St. Jude uh, Children's Hospital, or St. Jude Hospital, uh, they're, they, they, uh, to create, or they're going to actually create, I guess, a massive medical device manufacturer together. It's a $25 billion acquisition. And apparently, uh, St. Jude is really big in the cardiology thing in the manufacturing of certain, um, drug devices. And, um, the, the combined companies are going to be a, a major impact for the Memphis, Tennessee area, which if you haven't been there, it's a good time. But, uh, uh, St. Jude is certainly a major important part uh, of that local economy. And this comes on the heels after uh, recently St. Jude bought a company called Thuratech, which makes these these devices. So it looks like Abbott is going to be really beefing up their, their product lines on, on these devices for all of these cardiology uh, things coming down, down the pike. And it really is interesting to, to see all of the changes that are coming in me not only medical devices, but some other things that uh, I saw this week, just as far as um, how crazy technology has become in uh, transforming certain things in healthcare. For example, the ability to be able to one day very soon 3D print, for example, certain uh, organs and cells and things along those lines. Very, very uh, disruptive. And um, one of the things that, uh, you know, is, is an important part of that discussion is if we're living longer, how are we going to be able to afford um, to, to take care of, of all of these people? There has not been a, a major national conversation on um, end-of-life care. Not looking to have that conversation right now. But... Um, it is something that it, that is important if we're living longer and everybody's on Medicare, and Medicare is a uh, a program that's funded. Uh, it's a big expenditure in the federal government. How are we going to uh, be able to uh, make things work without without any um, problems uh, paying the bills? Conversation that nobody really wants to have, but that's why uh, we named this show America's Healthcare Challenge. And one of the reasons, uh, one of the things that uh, the administration has done, I mentioned it earlier at the beginning of the show, what they did in uh, 2015, moving um, payment models towards uh, value-based um, care. And this has had a major impact on teaching hospitals. Teaching hospitals are places where, um, like the Med Center and Creighton, where anybody can go, but the reason they're called teaching hospitals is because they're also training residents and future physicians. And they've been hit pretty hard in this transition from a fee-for-service model to this value-based care model. And 
as an as a whole, the healthcare industry is pretty slow to move. They're pretty inefficient and behind the times. And so what we did find in this story, which was interesting, is while it has hit these these models quite hard as they've uh, tried to change, and this is according to a blog in the New England Journal of Medicine, uh, they have found that um, if once they're able to get through all, all of these changes, um, improve uh, improvements, um, some, some having successful uh, transitions. For example, um, if they're able to integrate delivery networks that emphasize primary care, primary care is a big thing we've talked about on this program before, and multi-specialty group practices, they can improve uh, their chances of having a successful transformation. And I think we're going to start seeing Medicare Advantage become a bigger player um, with these with these accountable care organizations uh, because of the new incentives in the Medicare Advantage um, of laws. And so that that's something to to pay attention to as well. The impact on teaching hospitals as they change to this uh, value based reimbursement. I mentioned earlier this new alternative payment method uh, proposed federal regulation uh, that came out this week. I'm still working my way through it, but there's we're starting to find um, certain people make out better than others, and, and, and what we're starting to see is smaller uh, practitioners are, are just going to have a tougher time going through it. That's just kind of my my thing, my reaction at, at first, um, at first uh, breath. And the reason this regulation came out is through a uh, new piece of legislation that was passed within the last year, not the Affordable Care Act. It's called the uh, the uh, MACRA. And um, it essentially got rid of a payment formula, which has been problematic for, for both doctors and Congress alike. And the reason why is it was passed in, I think it was in 1986 when they first came up with this formula. And it uh, was called the sustainable growth rate, and it would uh, reimburse doctors, um, you know, based upon uh, a certain f- complex formula that they put together. And that formula would go up every year, and the reason it would go up it was because of inflation. And the number that they actually tied that to would not actually growing as fast as healthcare costs. I don't know if you've seen some of the recent seg. Uh, um, charts rather that are that are coming out but i one of the stories that caught my attention has a lot of them why we're so unhealthy and what we found is when you look at wages wages are pretty much stagnant for the last 30 years we really have not made made much more and and the uh the fact that they even consider that there's a middle class anymore almost doesn't even make sense to me because I don't know that there really is a middle class anymore. There sort of is a middle class, but it's not nearly what it was several years ago. Wages are stagnant and inflation is going up. So that means cost of living is going up. But what's worse is how much faster medical inflation has gone up. And as medical inflation has gone up by 180% since 1960, or 180% more than than the others. When that keeps going up, and that's what it did with this sustainable growth rate, it kept going up. They kept having to pass patch pieces of legislation, which is a, a bill to keep the doctors from getting uh, massive cuts in Medicare reimbursement because of this complex formula. Oh, by the way, it wasn't a 880% difference. Um, actually, health expenditures have gone up on 818% since 1960. GDP has only gone up 168% in the same amount of time, and wages have only gone up 16% in that same amount of time. Anyways, they got rid of that whole formula, finally, after years and years of uh, of you know people being unhappy. Now the main question is, how is this new formula going to work out? My theory is anytime the government tries to put something together, they... Um, really focus on the wrong things. They might have good intentions, but I don't know that they just know where to focus. And so I'll report next week what my thoughts are on the um, on this new payment schedule, but I think um, some of the analysis that I've already seen is starting to say kind of what I just said right there, that uh, they might have focused in on some of the wrong things. 
and they're really uh, kind of fixated with these electronic medical records, which I think make a lot of sense, but I don't think they realize how much inefficiency they've actually created. You think computers were supposed to make you more efficient. Um, they're actually making us less efficient, and maybe they're controlling us like in the Matrix, you know? Is that uh, going to be the case? Is it? It is election season, Matt. Is it the uh, red pill or the blue pill? <laughs> that is the question. That's it, man. That is the question. You're listening to America's Healthcare Challenge. Hey, when we come back, uh, time for your calls. If you want, 402-342-1290. And I'm going to share my final story of the week, why we're so unhealthy. Uh, great story on Zero Hedge. This is, is America's Healthcare Challenge. Back right after this. You can keep your plan if you are satisfied with it. If you like the plan you have, you can keep it. If you like your plan and you like your doctor, you won't have to do a thing. You keep your plan. If you like your health care plan, you'll be able to keep your health care plan. If you've got health insurance, you can keep it. If you like your health care plan, you will keep your plan. If you've got health insurance, you like your doctor, you like your plan, you can keep your doctor. You can keep your plan. E.D. Bellis is a healthcare reform consulting company with valuable information that is up to date and easy to understand. We have solutions to manage compliance, minimize penalties and taxes, and all other options. Check out healthreformexplained.com. Are you feeling overwhelmed, depressed, or angry? Is your child or teenager acting out? Healing Tree Counseling wants to help. Located at 10th and Dodge, Healing Tree offers individual, family, and couples therapy. Bill and Laura are exceptional at working with children and adolescents. Ask around. They have a great reputation. Healing Tree accepts most insurance companies. They offer flexible payment plans and are confidential. Their personalized service and unique office sets them apart from larger agencies. Visit HealingTreeOmaha.com for more information. Not only are we going to New Hampshire, we're going to South Carolina and Oklahoma and Arizona and North Dakota and New Mexico. We're going to California and Texas and New York. We're going to South Dakota and Oregon and Washington and Michigan. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. You want me on that wall. You need me on that wall. You are listening to America's Healthcare Challenge with Sean McGuire. Join the conversation at 402-342-1290 or at 800-577-1290. Once again, direct from the American heartland, here's your host, Sean McGuire. And welcome back to America's Healthcare Challenge. Check out uh, facebook.com slash America's Healthcare Challenge for... Um, all of our uh, latest thoughts and segments uh, from the show, we're going to be putting up a, I guess you can binge listen the show if you're interested in it. We're going to be putting up about uh, f four segments here uh, very shortly this week if you want to listen to this show or some of our other interviews, which have included national guests, politicians, policymakers, local, local experts, people that um, call in and that are fired up because they hear something. All these things are, um, are, um, you know, can be found on, on this show. Have you ever heard of the sh website Zero Hedge? Um, I, have you heard of that website? I have, I have heard of it. it. Have you read it before? I no? have. I think once or twice. When it was linked to, it was a link. Yeah. I don't go to that website on its own though. Well, it's like a guy, you know, I don't know this guy's background, but he posts as Tyler Durden. So he's uh, completely anonymous. Uh, and, you gotta love any guy that calls himself Tyler. Exactly, Turner, exactly, exactly. Um, he really uh, breaks down this this article. I just caught, came across uh, here today. Why we are so unhealthy as Americans, and you know, I've thought about this an awful lot. And you know, a lot of times when I'm like driving halfway across the country and I got nothing else to do but think, but I'm like, you know, one of the things that he points out is. Um, the, the massive amount of people that are uh, more than two-thirds, basically, of adults, according to the Department of Health and Human Services in America, are obese. And individuals that are obese uh, have a higher r risk of uh, type 2 diabetes, heart disease, high blood pressure, non-fatty uh, liver disease, and other types of cancer, as well as osteoarthritis. Okay. Now, 
one of the things why is why are why are we more obese well let's just think of um differences in generations 50 or 60 years ago everybody was working manual labor number one now everybody's working white collar labor 50 years ago everybody was eating healthy food uh for the most part you know more people were you know more available that non-processed stuff well they totally get into the non-monsanto stuff that he gets stuff. into this. Yeah. He gets into this and he says, you know, now and you have well there's a, he he quotes his Chinese pro- problem as like um what was it? It's just like if you want to worry about the the disease, like control what goes into your disease enters through the mouth. I don't know if you've you've heard that. But then he looks at how we have a centralized food slash illness slash healthcare system. So this will kind of blow your mind, but if you think about it, we've got corporate agriculture. Yeah. Right. Big oil, GMO seeds, all of that stuff, corporate food packages and distributors like ConAgra, who heel turned and left here. Yep. You know, yep. Then we've got corporate fast food. That's and especially in poor neighborhoods, that's all that's available. Corporate health care now, <laughs> the bigger the big and then big pharma. And so the question that he posed and I'll throw this out there, like, do you think pharma really is in any hurry to like tell McDonald's to make their food more healthy? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. It's the same. I mean, it's the same. It's the same argument. I mean, it's these lobbyists, it's, it's, they're all in, they're all tied in together. I mean, it's, it's really, it's really a sad deal. You know, I actually, I did a story on a bioinformatics program at, uh, at, at my university. Um, and you know, they, they talked about how they're, you know, not only in the, with the genome project, but they're also getting down to the point where they can, <laughs> this is kind of gross, but they can study the bacteria in your stomach and it's just like a fingerprint. The bacteria colonies in your stomach, I mean, are 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 as are your your unique snowflake, even down to the uh, to the bacteria colonies in your stomach lining, and uh, and absolutely, um, you know, people. Um, I've got a sister who's really big into health food and and that sort of thing, and she tells me all the time. And any any person that works out at a gym on a regular basis, they'll tell you, a diet is like eighty five percent what you eat. And yeah, absolutely. I mean, everything that you eat has a has a profound effect on your health. And hey, one other thing, I can't I can't leave without saying something provocative, right? And that is demonize Russia and China all you want for being who they are, but they have rejected our GMO food products. They will not import them into their country. Their seeds, the processed food, well, none of that. What do they eat? But they eat like bread. Right? Yeah, I mean they're eating. I mean, yeah, it's staples. They're eating staples like we used to a hundred years ago, fifty years ago. Yeah. But I don't know this food illness now. It, you know, people are getting ill from these foods. They have to be, I think. I know that they are. And so this really isn't a conspiracy theory. But you know, and I'm not here to be a total alarmist. But I just wanted to, uh, you know, provoke this type of conversation uh, because it is something that is really affecting all of us. And so I would encourage you to check out this story. It's got some really great graphics that that breaks it down can't really talk about it you kind of just have to see it but um some you know we need to i'd like to see our politicians have a conversation about stuff like this i mean are they even are they even are they aware? can they even do it though i don't like, think they're aware honestly dude i'm these guys dude sean honestly sean i mean these people are what law they have law degrees they don't know anything about food they don't know anything about health care they don't know anything about it they, they know they know they they took political science classes there is you know there is is able to talk about this stuff as, as good as i am you know, I don't know the scientific nature of, 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 of food, how, how, how foods are genetically modified. How many politicians know how the genetic modification of food works? Like, well, come on. It's just common sense, though, because let's think about it. If, if, a, if a burger joint selling a, a, a double cheeseburger for a dollar, that means that it had to cost them, like, what, 20 or 30 cents to make? Right. You know, now with the minimum wage, <laughs> that, you know, that's a whole other separate discussion. Right. So what are you eating? Right. What are you eating for 30 cents? A lot of, what is that, like filler? You know, they put that filler stuff. It's not even real meat. They just put stuff in there and make it flavor it as meat or something. I don't know. It's, 
but yeah, I mean, it's it's having a disastrous effect on the health of 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 your average American. You know, I saw a meme on Facebook the other day where it was like, you know, person who has a job. It showed a, a person who has a job in the grocery store, and they've got that little basket with like three or three things in the basket, and then it shows a person with no job, and their cart's full of like soda pop and chips and stuff. Hey, you know what? That might be a that might be an overgeneralization, but uh, I don't know, man. It's pretty it's pretty close. I've seen. Several examples uh, myself, and then they're parked in the handicap. Um, right, right. I, I don't know. I, I don't know what it's going to take for uh, for the average person to really get upset and realize that, uh, you know, I'm going to say it again, with these elections coming up, um, it matters. Your vote matters. Uh, it's more so in the local stuff than in the federal stuff, I would say. It matters who you send um, to your state houses um, of, of representatives. I mean, it really matters who your state senator is. You've and, and a lot of people. I think they just they just watch you know cable news and they just ignore you know the federal uh, ignore their state level. But that stuff's really getting important. Your sheriff. I mean, you're who you vote for sheriff. These things matter. Well, and those people too end up becoming members of Congress also, and so that's why it's uh, so important. So how much time we got left here? A couple more minutes. Uh, just about another minute. All minute right, well, or so, I'm yeah. Wrap up here. Thanks so much for your time uh, here joining us here on the program, America's Healthcare Challenge. Yeah, I just wanted to bring up that that story and others. Some of the things that we 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 talk about, we kind of jump all over the place, but all of these things are really intertwined. It's it's um, in order for us to bend the cost curve, the first thing we have to do is educate ourselves, and that's really the mission of this program, America's Healthcare Challenge, which is produced and sponsored by an organization called Ed Bellis, which is an HR consulting and compliance outsourcing firm uh, located here in Nebraska. But they are a national agency. Uh, able to help companies all over the country as they uh, react to changes. You have a professional service advisor for your business. You have a professional service advisor for your legal matters. You have one for your financial matters. Shouldn't you maybe have someone that can advise you on your health care and your own personal health? Uh, that's the mission of Edie Bellis. And so if you want to read more, check out EdieBellisINC.com for more on how they can help you. Sean McGuire here. One more minute until we're out of here. Have a great next week, and I look forward to seeing you uh, next time where I will report on the latest from that new proposed federal regulation from the White House, which is going to totally impact how physicians are reimbursed. We'll see you next time.